0: Turn up the sound system and then bolt up here to do the Bible reading. So I'm just filling time while he does that. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, let me pray for us as we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this precious treasure, this, this deposit, your revelation to the world, to us. We thank you for it. Um, we thank you that uh, in it we discover the purpose of all things. We discover the one true God. We discover uh, your Son, our King. Jesus Christ, and all that we need to know about him, all that we need to know about how to worship him as Lord uh, and receive salvation, and also all that we need to know about how to treat one another um, as image bearers of God, as human beings, loving our neighbours as we would love ourselves. So help us this morning to hear what you have to say for us in Amos. Amen.
1: So as Cam said, um, Amos chapters one and the first part of chapter two. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Hazael that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the scepter in Beth-Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to curse says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent. Because she took captives' whole communities and sold them to Edom, I will send fire on the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. I will destroy the king of Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines are dead, says the sovereign Lord. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not relent because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. I will send fire on the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Edom, even for four, I will not relent. Because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land, because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked, I will send fire on Teman that will consume the fortresses of Bozrah. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not relent, because he ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead in order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses, amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day. Her king will go into exile, he and his officials together, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not relent because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king. I will send fire on Moab that will consume the fortresses of Kerioth. Moab will go down in great tumult mid war cries and the blast of the trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all her officials with him, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees, because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines.
0: Woe to China, who last century butchered 50 million of her own people in the name of equality. Boastful and proud, China today struts her stuff on the global stage, making threatening stances in the South China Sea, and has enslaved a million Uyghurs in internment camps. Woe to China. Woe to Russia. Her last century, her communist experiment resulted in the deaths of 40 million people. She ignores the international condemnation of her invasion of Ukraine and halted grain supplies from the Ukraine are now pushing many in Africa into starvation because of what she has done. Woe to Russia. Woe to Germany. Privileged to serve as home to some of the greatest reformers, she started two world wars that wreaked death and havoc, including the horrors of the Nazis on countless millions. Woe to Germany. Woe to Great Britain. At one time, ruler of one quarter of the world's population, she plundered other countries by colonizing and enslaving many others. Today, she has squandered a heritage of the knowledge of God, and she limps along directionless and degraded. Woe to the United States. She prides herself on being the greatest, but her cherished freedoms are used to defend the grossest immorality and selfishness. Today, although she is deeply divided, no issue, absolutely none remains more important than this state of the economy. Woe to you, New Zealand. You pride yourself on being world leaders in championing whatever is the newest progressive liberal cause. You happily, in the process, discard your Christian foundations. You now abort babies up to full term and think nothing of it. Woe to you, New Zealand. Woe to you, Australia. You tried to eradicate your indigenous peoples through massacre, disease, forcible child removal, and a policy of interbreeding. Today you have the most draconian asylum policies in the world, you imprison asylum seekers for years in hotels out of the public eye. Woe to you Australia, woe to you Western Australia who last week passed the most liberal abortion uh, laws anywhere in the world. Woe to you Victoria and the militancy with which you're rolling out your gender fluidity agenda. Woe to the ACT who forcibly acquired a Catholic hospital that refused to perform abortions. And woe to you, South Australia! You sit smug and self-righteous. You worship the gods of wine, food, and coffee, and you have scant regard for listening deeply to God and repenting of your sin. That is the reasoning of Amos. Amos was an Old Testament prophet from the southern kingdom of Judah, but who crossed northern into the border, uh, north the border to the northern Israel and prophesied against Israel at a time of peace and astounding prosperity for a few, but also a time of massive social injustice and spiritual and moral laziness. Amos's message, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. Oh yes, Israel and Judah may have had their human kings, but it was the Lord who's the true king, the true ruler, and Amos's message is that as the ruler, the Lord's patience has run out. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Mount Carmel withers. The Lord's breath, if you could imagine it, when he, the lion roars, burns up all the pasture field to Israel's northernmost border on her far north coast, top of Mount Carmel. Clearly, if Israel is to avoid God's judgment, she needs to repent. But how do you get her to listen? How would God, the Lord, get us to listen, really listen, with contrition and heartfelt repentance and change? How would he do it? Well, the way the Lord does it in the time of Amos is to circle in He denounces all of Israel's pagan neighbors, one after the other, saying how the Lord will judge them and why, real denunciations, real judgments on the nations that form a circle around Israel. Michelle, can I put up that slide? Thank you. We can imagine Israel hearing this and saying, yes, that's right, those nations, yes, 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 the Lord's got it in for them, yes, they deserve what's coming to them. You get them, Lord, you get them. But the, si- the circle tightens. Amos denounces, having denounced them, he denounces then Judah, where he himself comes from. But even then, we can imagine Israel saying, yes, they, those Judeans down south, they deserve your judgment too. Until having circled in in chapter two, Amos finally says, woe to you, Israel. The Lord's encircling roar. It's now been 10 years since the English trio London Grammar released their song, Strong, And I don't know if you know it, but with haunting depth, the question is asked, if a lion roars, would you not listen? The question is searching. Imagine yourself camping in a tent out on the African plains. Imagine the fright you'd get if you woke in the middle of the night and next to your tent, you heard this lion roar just out there. Of course, if a lion roared, you'd listen. But Amos and London Grammar pose this as a question, not a statement. They want us to reflect, if a lion roars, would you not listen? Why the need to ask this? Why the need for us to ask it of ourselves? Except for the fact that when a proverbial lion does roar, (laughs) the reality is we don't listen. We won't listen. But we need to. We need to listen to what God the Lord is saying to us and he's speaking to us in three steps. He says, the Lord will judge others. Then the Lord will judge us. And then he asks a question, if the lion roars, will you not listen? Three steps, firstly, the Lord will judge others. And now we're listening in to what God is saying against the nations surrounding Israel and Judah. It's worth us listening because this is why there will be a judgment day for nations, nations who do not know God. Why are they going to be judged? Well, each of the denunciations has a pattern. For three sins of this people, even for four, I will not relent. The point being that God may have been patient to a point, once, twice, three times, but his patience patience isn't infinite. It's not without limit. There comes a point when the Lord's patience will run out, when he will hold a people to account. And so he begins with Syria, For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Because, why? She threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Gilead was northeast of Jerusalem, a part of Israel's northern tribes, where um, um, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh were. Syria, her neighbor, to her had been brutally cruel, a brutality which tellingly continues to exist today in Syria. Syria. God expects even pagan nations to temper their militant, military conquests with compassion and mercy. He won't allow them to continue to be brutal forever. Go to the other side of Israel, down to Gaza, the Philistine territory, the cities of Ashkelon and Ashdod, which are still there today. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent. Why? Because she took captives, whole communities, and sold them to Edom. God's issue with Gaza is slave trading. They've done it once too often. God expects even pagans like the Philistines to recognize the dignity of people and to afford them basic human rights. People, all people, matter to God because they are made in his image and he will not indefinitely bless nations that deny people their common human dignity something that many regimes need to take note of today. Now go north up Israel's coast to Tyre, the wall street of the ancient world. God's issue with Tyre was once again slave trading but coupled with something else, defiance of an international alliance. She sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. And so the Lord would send fire on on all of Tyre that would consume her fortresses. (coughs) Um, Nations keeping their pledged word matters to God. He even expects idolatrous cities like Tyre to be true to their promises. This is a lesson all prime ministers could profit from, including our own. Think of how we were viewed after reneging on the French submarine deal, for example. Next is Edom on the other side of Israel. For three sins of Edom, even for four, I will not relent because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. Edom's brother was almost certainly Israel. you might remember, if you remember the family tree from Genesis, Israel came from Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, and his, Jacob's twin brother was Esau, and Edom came from Esau. They weren't natural enemies, but Edom had relentlessly harassed Israel, like older brothers sometimes do. Well, God can't Abide perpetual bullying and warmongering. A lesson for people like Putin, who simply likes to bully and provoke and kick up fights with his neighbors and brothers. Next is Ammon, for three sins of Ammon, even for four I will not relent because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. The last straw for the Lord regarding Ammon was their violence, such violence in their land grabbing. God has determined different places for the peoples of the world to live. He is not pleased when countries simply expand for the sake of enlarging their territories and just rip people to bits in the process. Even when there is war and the Bible acknowledges that there will be war, there is a difference between war and atrocity. There is such a thing as war crimes and the Lord will hold the nations accountable. Along with Putin, Groups such as IS or the Taliban should reflect on this. And finally, there is Moab. For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not relent. Their final straw was burning as if to lime the bones of Edom's king. Now, we think, what's that about? Well, if there is one way to guarantee generational conflict between peoples, it's to dishonor someone's dead ruler. As far as God is concerned, that is a step too far. He expects brutal regimes like the Moabites to know better than to engage in detestable acts of spite. Sides of current conflicts need to heed this. So here are six nations surrounding Israel who are ripe for God's judgment. The Lord had been patient with them to a point, but not forever. There comes a point with every nation where the Lord's patience runs out. Now, it's interesting that uh, when you look at what God has it in for these people, it's not that he wasn't being worshipped by them. Although we have to say since Jesus, since he the light of the world has come into the world and has died for the sins of the world and risen as the Lord of all. Now, this is a grievance that the Lord holds. But at this time before Christ, the Lord held them to account mainly because of how appallingly they treated one another. And even though they didn't have the Bible, they didn't have God's law, they still had their common consciences and that's enough. Even by the standard of their consciences, God will hold them to account as he will hold the nations today to account for how we have treated or not treated others. Peoples, nations matter to the Lord and whilst he may be patient, there will come a point when his patience runs out, so first point, the Lord will judge others. Now, when we get distressed about what's happening in the world, there is a certain amount of comfort in this. But of course then, having circled around Israel denouncing her neighbors, suddenly Amos drops the bombshell. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. If the first point is that the Lord will judge others, the second is that the Lord will judge us, by which I mean our countries. We need to be careful here uh, in applying this to us. Israel and Judah were the people of God in the Old Testament. The New Testament people of God are Christians, the church, right? Not a country. So in applying this, are we to understand the Lord is going to judge the church? And we think well how would that square with the knowledge that the church comprises people who have been saved from the coming of judgment through Jesus, Jesus who bore God's judgment and took it away for us. And of course we know the church is different to Israel. Israel was a nation state, the church is not. How should we approach this? Well it's true that Jesus took away God's judgment but we need to listen to this so that we understand what God regards as sin and that we don't fall into the same sins that God judged Israel for. We need to listen to, it, to this because it's possible to think of ourselves as Christians, maybe we have the Bible, maybe we have buildings um, and yet we could, like Israel, be completely deluded, couldn't we? So when we apply the blowtorch of Amos to ourselves, what comes out? In the case of Judah, where Amos himself came from, God's final issue with them was that they had not kept his word. Why? Because they had been led astray by lies by false gods. In other words, instead of obeying what God said, they swam in a very permissive, tolerant, liberal, anything goes society, and then their conviction of obeying the Lord was just cut down through compromise. Death by a thousand cuts, a thousand small compromises which made concessions to their culture. That was the air they breathed. But it left them morally and spiritually dead in so far as the Lord was concerned. Bit by bit, truth was substituted with error and the Lord was substituted by idols of their own imagination. God was not happy with that, and he will not put up with that in his church either. God expects reformation in line with his word. This is why, um, you might have noticed, our practice is to read the Bible and to reflect on it deeply, because we can be deluded. Um, We need to constantly reform ourselves in line with his word. Uh, God will not just say, oh, well, they're victims of their culture or their tradition. God expects us to be constantly looking back to his standards revealed in the Bible and reviewing our practices in line with it and where we have been getting it wrong in our culture to swim against the tide and to put things right. God expects us to be discerning about the countries, the cultures, the societies in which we live. We will have our blind spots. They need to be pointed out, all right? Judah had failed to see them. And the Lord prophesied fire that would consume Jerusalem and it happened. As for Israel to the north, what was their issue? Well, two, mainly. Social injustice was rampant. So the wealth of the nation was concentrated in the hands of a few And they had no qualms about selling their fellow Israelites into effective slavery. They sell the innocent for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. Um, The courts were corrupt. They were riddled with bribery. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Israel was the sort of place where provided you had enough money you could get away with anything. The rich got richer, the poor got poorer, the gulf widened so there's massive social injustice and then as well as that there's immorality of the grossest kind mixed up with Baal worship which we've we covered haven't we in numbers. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name they lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge in the house of their God they drink wine taken as fines. It's hard to imagine how depraved they were Except of course the church today has people of course who come like we are, we worship and then we go home and people secretly view porn and think nothing of it. It's almost like the word of God has no power. In Israel's case they commanded the prophets not to prophesy, they'd stopped their ears, they'd hardened their hearts to listening to God, all under a veil of religion of course. Because of this, God said he would crush them as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. It happened, in 722 BC, it happened. The Assyrian superpower came and dismantled Israel, those 10 tribes. So it happened in their day, but we know that when Jesus, later on, when he came, he also spoke, yes, of that judgment, looking back, but of a future one, a day of judgment, when he would sort out people, sheep from the goats, wheat from the chaff, the true wedding guest from the party crasher. In other words, what God is saying through his prophet in that generation still has teeth in our own generation. He will judge the nations. It happened as God said it would. It will happen as God said it will. Jesus said it will and he will judge us. It happened as God said it would, and it will happen as Jesus said it will, where he will sort people out, one from another. Now, okay, even if you or I have faith in Jesus, and we know, yes, he died for us, he died, he took God's judgment, didn't he? We need to understand that with great privilege comes great responsibility. And there may be a time when God disciplines us, not judges us eternally, but disciplines us for our good. Look at the key verses in chapter three, verse one and two. Hear this people, hear this word, you people of Israel, the word the Lord has spoken about you, about the whole family I took up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. There's the privilege, right? and therefore I will punish you for your sins. There's the responsibility. For us, Jesus has taken away the punishment, but that's not to say that God may not discipline us for our own good. In fact, the book of Hebrews says (laughs) he will do it. And actually that proves that we are his children because what father doesn't discipline his children for their good? He wants us to take us seriously. He wants us to amend our lives. And so last point. If a lion roars, would you not listen? That's essentially what Amos himself says in Amos chapter three, verse eight. The lion has roared, who will not fear? But by posing it in a question, he's asking us in response to hearing the word of the Lord, the lion roaring, would we listen? Or will we just not listen? It's very easy not to, isn't it? I mean, now, just think about it. It's the long weekend in the Adelaide Hills. The weather is beautiful. Judgment day? What judgment day? Look at the last verse of chapter three. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Um, Israel had people there, had winter houses and summer houses. They were very opulent. God was going to pull them apart. Yet you could have been excused for reading those verses and thinking that sounds like sterling. We can't write this off as just an Old Testament message. We need to think about what we've heard, the Lord's encircling roar. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, Paul's argument to get Jewish people listening is essentially the same. He begins by saying, guess what guys, God's wrath is being currently revealed now. In all the disasters that happen around the world, God's wrath is being revealed against the godlessness and the wickedness of people who worship idols. And you can imagine his religious audience going, yes, yes, those Gentile pagans, they deserve that. But then having denounced the idol worshippers surrounding the Jewish religious people, he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, because at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? And now you see the religious, his religious audience are caught. He goes on to say, you know what? Even though the Gentiles don't have the Bible, God will still judge them by the standard of their consciences. But guess what? When that happens, some of them will be seen to be more obedient than you, and you have the Bible. He's saying all people, actually, all people have to face God's judgment. What's this mean for us now? It means that we ought to listen to the lion's roar. That's what? Romans chapter two, verse four goes on. Do you think you'll escape judgment or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You know, why hasn't God judged the world now? Why is God still exercising his patience? It is meant to lead us to repentance. We're meant to repent. That's the whole reason why God's been delaying judgment in the first place. But if we're not listening, verse five, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're stirring up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now through Amos and then I guess through the book of Romans in the New Testament, God is, it's the same argument, God is telling us that his patience is not infinite. He can only tolerate people treating others badly for so long before his patience will be exhausted. Now, I know that Jesus, uh, if you, so you, so I'm speaking to you who trust in Jesus, who's died for you, okay. Um, the wrath has been turned away. There is safety in the cross. But nevertheless, we belong to a society which will have its societal sins. We may not see them because we soak them in like the air we breathe, but that's not to say that God won't hold Australia nor Adelaide to account. This is us, this is is our people, right? What hope is there? The hope, next slide, thanks, is in Jesus on the cross. We haven't got time to go right through Romans chapters one to three, but by chapter three, verse 20, Paul has reached the point in his argument where he says no one is righteous, not even one. No one is righteous in themselves. Not when assessed by the standard of the law, not when, even when assessed by the standard of our own consciences, no one. On the day of judgment, every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. You know, the, the atheist mouth that castigates God, you know, silenced. The proud entrepreneur who's been a self-made man, silenced. Silenced. Where is the hope? The hope, our only hope, is the cross. Where a righteousness, Paul says, from God comes to us, given to us through faith in Jesus to all who believe. He says there's no difference. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by his grace through what Christ did for us at the cross. Ultimately, The cross is our answer. And if you are here and your trust is not in Christ, you need to turn to him because judgment day is coming. There's no other solid ground you have, none at all. But the value of Amos, even for us who have trusted in Jesus, is to cause us to critically reflect on our own culture, on our own lives in light of scripture. And to stop and reflect And to ask the deep questions, where are our blind spots? If the Lord had to say something against us, what would he say? Where have we as a people been negligent in how we treat others? And then to amend what we do. Because these things matter to God, we can't pretend that they don't and through his word now, by his spirit, he is drawing them to our attention so that we can repent. But well, we need to reflect deeply, don't we? Father in heaven, uh, today, on the long weekend, grant us that deep humility of heart, which takes you seriously, which takes your word seriously, the judgment that you brought about in the Old Testament times, the judgment that Yes, is happening now, and the ultimate judgment day, which is coming, help us to amend our lives in light of your word, and to think about the impact that we as people, individuals, but we as a country have on others. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd help us not to just wipe our hands, but to be responsible. We cling to the cross. There's no other hope in Jesus' name. Amen.